This is Rick Levin, and you are watching Whose Time? yet it's time to get in the know. The term refers to massive open online courses. In an era of rapid education innovations, more and more people have access to the highest quality education resources in the comfort of their own home. The groundbreaking development of online course offerings has spurred some commentators to say the MOOC has the potential to replace the traditional classroom. Time Magazine has commented that free MOOCs have opened the door to the Ivy League for the masses. Founded in 2011 by two former Stanford University professors, the growth of the online course platform Coursera has followed an upward trajectory. With partnerships spanning 115 universities, Coursera now boasts an audience of 10 million users. Recently, Rick Levin, former president of Yale University and current Coursera CEO, visited the headquarters of Taishin Media and met with editor-in-chief Hu Shu Li and editor Wang Shuo for a chat on pioneering changes in both traditional education and online courses. Is that MOOC very controversial? Is that controversial? Um, MOOC actually is not controversial. It's an no. emerging new style of education. I think it's controversial among educators. I actually think the online product that Coursera has now actually does a better job than the live experience because, really? because for one, we shorten up the, um, the time between questions and quizzes. Students are more engaged. Instead of sitting still for an hour, they get to answer a quiz every six minutes or so as they go through the material. If they don't understand something, imagine if you're sitting in a lecture hall and in the first 15 minutes, you're, you're lost. Mm -hmm. Well, if that happens to you on Coursera, you can just go back and watch the video over and, fig and, and figure it out. Take your time to master the content. So I think for conveying content, it's a, it's, a, it's a very strong technology, and faculty who've used it are, become adherents. They become promoters. I'm a student, but I don't go to university. Can I finish a university comparable education totally on Gankosera? And how much cost should I pay? Yeah. We're still two and a half years old. You could, you could potentially find a set of courses that would look like a, you know, the, uh, the set of courses one would take to earn a bachelor's degree. I mean, be, that'll be more possible in a few years when we have more the curriculum more built out and more courses available. Would it be much lower cost? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, um, at average price of $50 a course and, and uh, you know, let's say four courses a semester for eight semesters. Um, that's not a lot of money. but. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm sort of hesitant to say that will at any time soon be, be thought of as a complete substitute. I think where it's much more, where, where, where it's much more likely to be seen as, an, as important is I've taken this set of four related courses, let's say, in Android programming, and that's going to help me get a job as an Android programmer. Or I've taken this coherent set of courses in data science, and that's an emerging field with you know, as more and more companies and organizations and government uh, agencies are working with big data, you know, there's a, generations of people out there have been trained in math and statistics, but they don't know the latest technologies for dealing with big data and that, um, those kinds of things. The credentials are specializations, which are groupings of courses can offer, are much more likely to have immediate impact than the sort of 
simulated bachelor's degree. Yeah. Do you see a future that uh, a MOOC, including Coursera and others, can replace most universities? Yeah. Why do we need university well, lab? Uh, because there's a lot more to the, to the experience than just what you learn in the classroom. And I think the experience of bringing um, you know, 18 to 22-year-old students together in a context where they live together and get to understand how you know, the give and take of becoming adults, interacting, um, uh, kind of maturation, social development, all of that's character formation, all of that's a part of the university experience for many, many students. And so I don't think that will be entirely replaced by online education. I think that some of it will be. I, I mean, that is to say, you know, there are many students whose experience of university is, particularly, I, I, I don't know about here in China, but in the United States, you know, people drive in to take a class. They don't really have a residential experience or a strong engagement with their cohort. They're basically, coming to school for classes and going home. In those types of universities, I think, are, could be replaced or much, much diminished in term, uh, by this phenomenon. But it'll take years. Take years but Things, the internet moves fast, but universities do not. So, <laughs> so, so I think the change in the higher education sector will be slow. The, the, you know, what people talk about this being disruptive, and it, yeah, sure, it has the potential to be disruptive, but I think it will take, you know, decades to really have a very strong impact on the way the university sector is organized. In the meantime, it is transformational. It is disruptive in a different way. It's, it's reaching a much wider audience. So, um, you know, people who are at post-university, in fact, the great majority of our users are uh, globally are older than 25 years old. And, and they're using it to upgrade their career skills or simply to become better people, to, to become better citizens. Just take courses they're curious about and uh, study subjects they're interested in. In fact, our user base splits about 50-50 between the, the sort of self-motivated, lifelong learners yeah, yeah, and, yeah. The, Self, and yeah. the people interested in enhancing their career. I think in, here in China, I think it's a tremendous opportunity for career advancement because you know we know that um, there's concern in China that university graduates have a hard time getting the match to the right kinds of jobs that their skills yeah. don't fit what the what the um, business sector demands. Well, probably uh, the, the MOOC can get more impact over the regions where education is not that developed. Uh, the, the extent to which it, it supplements what's done in the university yeah. age group, there, I think I agree with you. The developing countries um, uh, where the educational systems aren't as, aren't as fully developed, uh, we probably have a greater role to play than, than in the US. We were very surprised once you accepted the position as the CEO of uh, Coursera once you left the, as the president of Yale. Why and how did you make that decision? Well, I, w I hadn't anticipated it when I left Yale. I, I uh, wasn't sure what I would do, but I was on sabbatical and doing you know, just So you research. didn't know what you were going to no, do? No, I left, I left after 20 years thinking mm -hmm. 20 years was a good long tenure and it was time to leave. Mm -hmm. and, um, but then the idea, came, you know, the opportunity came up maybe six to nine months after I left Yale. Already? And it seemed, yeah, and it seemed like a natural since at Yale we had also worked on developing uh, free open content. Yale's open Yale courses were among the best offerings 
that were out there in an earlier generation of online offerings that were, you know, just camera at the back of the classroom type recordings of high quality courses. And I've felt from way back, uh, uh, you know, 15 years ago, that online education was going to be a great tool for the great universities of the world having a broader impact than they've ever had before. And so Coursera was the natural, first it had a great technology far in advance of what we had used at Yale. And it already was beginning to develop a huge, you know, global audience. And so far, since you switched to your career, uh, what kind of reaction you get from the universities uh, during the cooperation uh, yeah. and negotiating with them? Uh, I'm very positive. I mean, I think people were. Uh, I, I think it, people were like you, a little surprised to see that I was entering this realm, but um, but also feeling quite comfortable that someone they knew. Um, you know, shared their values. I'm not here to, I'm not here to destroy the university world. I spent, <laughs> I spent my <laughs> life building it. You know? <laughs> Some people say, oh, you got mad. Too, too bad for universities, no? No, no, no quite, quite the opposite. I think, I think you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a real ally of the schools that are, that are um, making use of, of our platform. And, and I think it's, yeah, it's going to work very well. What kind of change must happen for them to accommodate the challenge from MOOCs? Well, I think the, what, what, we're, what we're finding is just getting the universities to understand, I'm talking now about the ones that actually supply content to us, to understand that this is a huge opportunity for them to have a bigger impact on the world. You know, to educate orders of magnitude, more students, it really changes the way you think about what a university does. I mean, we'll see universities really embracing this and, and, uh, and doing a lot of good in, in the world. In fact, many are concerned that the future of MOOC courses may face major challenges on profits. Coursera is experimenting with various business models and has started to generate revenue on certification fees for course completion. So MOOC could be a, could be a for-profit business or in the future could be some kind of social entrepreneurship. Yeah, well I think we're both. I mean, we, we're, we're a, we're a for-profit company with a very clear de dedication to a social mission. I mean, our, our, our mission is universal access to the world's best education. Mm -hmm. And um, we need to be sustainable. And to be sustainable, we need to generate revenue to cover our cost. We're, we're using a very simple model, mm -hmm. which is the educational content is free. The courses, can, you, can, you can watch them and study them and take all the quizzes and exams for free. Yeah, there's, there's 850 courses and a, a fantastic array of diverse subject matter, and it's growing rapidly. I mean, and, and we'll have thousands of courses within the next few years. But, but to, to monetize, what we're doing is we're saying, if you want a verified certificate, you want your identity verified as having completed the course successfully, um, you pay a very modest sum. I mean, some of the, between, sometimes $29, sometimes $49, sometimes a little more. Um, uh, and you can get the verified uh, certificate. And you know, only a small fraction at this point are paying for it. But we think the, the group that sees this as a labor market credential <coughs> will start to pay in greater number as the labor market starts to recognize that this is valuable. And so it's sort of a two-sided phenomenon. We have to get employers to understand that taking a data science course courses at Johns Hopkins adds real value to a prospective employee. And then when they start to endorse this, as Google recently did, 
in a blog where they posted saying, here are a set of Coursera courses we think would be valuable in our prospective employees. If we can get employers to start to, to, um, to behave in that way, I think more people will pay for the, for the credential. Yeah, actually, I, I made a very simple sampling of, of Chinese employer here to, uh, yes, uh, last night oh, really? and ask them whether they will value in the future of, the, of this certification from, from uh, Coursera. They said they will consider it. That's great, yeah. Well, that's what we're hoping to accomplish in, in coming over here and meeting with a number of Chinese employers uh, and multinational employers. Chinese universities have started to participate on Coursera. Peking University has rolled out a course on bioinformatics and Fudan University features a course on big data. In October 2013, Coursera established a presence in China and has since brought on partners such as internet portal NetEase and translation company Yiyan. It's clear that Coursera has big ambitions in China. And how many times have you been to China this year? Oh, this is my, th my third trip this year. Third trip this yeah. year. You, yeah. you, you, can you tell me some story on your trips uh, for the... For the new business for in Coursera. China, yeah. Oh, we've had you know we've had great reception. We went around and met with the. Um, I've been to a number of the Chinese universities. Mm -hmm. um, we have five partners in mainland China now that are that are starting to supply courses for our platform. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Beida and Fudan, Shanghai Jiaotong, Nanjing, mm -hmm. and uh, Xi'an Jiaotong mm -hmm. uh, as partners, and we. A couple of other C9 universities are this close from joining. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll, you know, that are, we'd like to have the top institutions engaged. I, fa I found um, uh, it's a, there's the differences in the Chinese universities' um, view of this. Some are some are a little skeptical and nervous about about you know how can we put great quality content on the platform and how will it appear in a global context, and others are embracing this with great enthusiasm. I mean, mm -hmm. Peking University is doing, they're training 100 faculty members per year where, where each of the 100 faculty make a short version of a MOOC. They make like two weeks worth of content. Mm -hmm. And very smart approach, because they're getting a lot of their faculty used to this, and then they pick, they're going to pick 20 out of the 100 each year and make public MOOCs out of them. So this is a this is a great strategy, and they're 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 putting a lot of resources into training, which I think is good. I I, mean, I think it's important for the Chinese universities as they advance in the world that they get the they have an opportunity to be on a global platform like Coursera, where users around the world will um, will uh, you know um, get familiar with them. Interestingly, so, uh, the early courses that Peking University has put on our platform in Mandarin. They were stunned to find that 40%, 40% of the of the followers of the of the of the students were outside China, outside mm -hmm. mainland China. Uh -huh. So it was a, it was a Chinese yeah. community of Chinese speakers in other countries, and, and something yeah. like 20% were in the United States. Really, uh -huh. it's quite remarkable. So distance yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So why did you get the, like the contracts with Tsinghua? So we'd love to work with Tsinghua, but Tsinghua signed on early with the competitor, with edX. Oh, and, I see. And, earlier, yeah. Yeah, and, they are, and they've built their own platform, Shuitong mm -hmm. X, which is using the edX open source software. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 we are not exclusive, so we'd be happy to have Tsinghua well. put some of its courses on our platform if they, if they wanted to. You know, we, we, they're about, we have about 115 university partners. And I think 14 of them are, are um, you know, 
working with both platforms, with both edX and Oh, Chrysler. really? Yeah. Do you want to uh, do your Chinese business independently or continue to provide contents through a, a local partner like Guoke? Um, well, we, we are accessible independently for, for a Chinese internet user, uh, but you can also get access to us through NetEase and through Guoke. I think in the Chinese internet world, it helps to have some of these distribution partners as well as direct access. But uh, so we may even cultivate more of them actually in the future. Today, how many Chinese users uh, are using your service? So we've had about uh, cumulatively about uh, 750,000 Chinese users. Uh, in any given month, in the recent months, it's been a, around 70, 80,000. Uh, active users uh, on the site. Um, that makes us the, the biggest of the international providers by some, by some distance. Um, but I think that's a, the potential is, is you know, much, much higher. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I would like to see us, you know, add a zero to those numbers. Yale, Harvard, Oxford, and other top universities in Europe and the U.S. are not only leading education institutions, but have paved the way in developing enormously successful endowment funds. The Yale University Endowment Fund is renowned for achieving consistently high returns. Yale Foundation is very famous, very successful. Can you share some experience with us? Well, we're very, you know, Yale was very fortunate that uh, we had, um, we hired as a very young man, David, my, my good friend David Swenson, to lead our mm -hmm. endowment. Um, it, you know, he, he, he adopted some of the portfolio management ideas of his teacher and my teacher, James Tobin, the Nobel laureate, and put them into practice at Yale, and it's become the standard model for uh, managing university endowments, but basically to have a widely diversified portfolio of assets and, um, and focus, you know, not on speculation, but on basically keeping your portfolio diversified, rebalancing the asset categories when prices go up and down, and, and, um, and focusing on selecting really excellent managers um, to, to produce a, uh, excess returns. He's just done a great job, and it's made it for 20 years, it made my job so much easier because the resources were abundant. Back here, things are different. Chinese universities, well, most of them are financed by public money, exactly. but sometimes the money is not enough, so they run business directly into many, many different industries. I know. Without, with, with or without competitive advantages. And the, the model is so different from, from your model. And this is a topic in our university leadership seminars we discussed a lot. And, and, you know, because, well, some of the schools have actually scaled it back a lot in the last decade. I mean, they, had, they were operating, you know, Beidou was operating like 300 different businesses, you know, <laughs> some of which were related to their core mission and some of which had no connection at all. And um, I, think, I think the Chinese universities are starting to get more sophisticated about staying out of things that aren't, where they don't have some comparative advantage, you know. It's... I, I, I like our approach better where you just invest in, in these companies and don't actually op own and operate them. Yeah. And uh, for you, uh, when you were uh, the president of Yale, um, a, a large part of your time is devoting to, devoted to uh, raise money, right? And today as CEO of uh, Coursera, what's a, what is the most important uh, mission for you? At Coursera, <laughs> of course we need to raise, we, we have raised some money, we'll probably need to raise some more, but the, but that's not, you know, that, that's not a, 
primary focus, primary focus is delivering on the mission, is build, building the absolute best technology we can that enables that mission. I mean, all, all technology companies have to really focus on making sure the product really works. And then, um, you know, uh, the second big focus is, is making sure we have very strong relationships with our partner universities and that we, we understand and they understand that we have a common interest in providing great education to, to millions of people. Well, in your opinion, what would uh, trigger the next explosion of uh, user, user growth for Coursera and other MOOCs? Uh, you know, I think, I think the potential of untapped internet users in, in, in here in this country, in India, and even in the United States is still huge. And that there will be, you know, the potential for a tenfold increase in our user base is, you know, is right in front of us. So, you know, gen we don't generate the kind of viral contagion that some internet apps do, you know, because that are social network type apps. But I think what, you know, as we get more traction, um, and particularly as we put more courses available on demand, so that when you go to the site there, you can start right away, you don't have to wait, which you do right now, um, then we'll start to see rapid growth. My last question, what's uh, your, you feel the most proud, what kind of thing you feel proud of mostly in your whole professional, yeah? Well, I, it, I, I, at this point, I'd have to say the, the, you know, the 20 years of service at, at Yale and seeing the university both have an enormous local impact in, be, in, in basically you know, rebuilding ourselves and the city around us uh, uh, and, then a and then really setting a model for global engagement that is you know, now being imitated by lots of other U.S. universities. I, you know, the, the, those, are, those, those would be my personally think of the most important accomplishments to date. But I think, you know, if you ask me that question in, you know, five to ten more years, maybe I'll tell you that it was the huge global impact that Coursera has had that, <laughs> that, that dwarfs anything I could accomplish at Yale. I mean, that might happen. It's a totally different scale. Yeah. Yeah.